I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Ozfiz Live from our Brangaroo Studios. Great to have your company on the call over the next 60 minutes. Uh, we're going to analyse 10 stocks picked by you, one picked by me for our stock of the day. I'm going to put them to our expert panel for their views on it. We do it all in one hour, as I said. It's fast and furious, always very informative, particularly when these two blokes are on. David Lane from Ords in Brisbane. David, how are you, sir? Very well, and yourself? Yeah. It's, uh... It's been a frenetic weekend of sport, but we won't speak about it. Oh, yes. Thank you, David, for that, for bringing that up. (laughs) Frenetic isn't my my description of it. It would start with an S, but anyhow, uh, depending on who your team was. Daniel Ortiz from uh, Lincoln Indicators, a stock doctor. Daniel, how are you, sir? Yeah, good. Thanks, Koshin. You've got to trust uh, an equity analyst or someone who works in equities to have very gentle wording. Uh, we, uh, we're used to kind of tiptoeing around these types of situations. Yeah, so. it's exactly right. And particularly someone from Brisbane. So uh, <laughs> he's still got skin in the game and uh, uh, looking pretty good ahead of the uh, preliminaries this weekend. So uh, I must admit, as the uh, president of an interstate uh, team or a non-Victorian team, all us non-Victorians all stick together when it comes to finals. So, exactly. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's take a look at uh, what we're going to look at in this half hour of the program. Uh, Sonic Healthcare, Insurance Australia Group, Centre Group, uh, Pilbara Minerals and Northern Star Resources. Stock of the day. Um, uh, Costa Group's in the news this morning um, as the American PE firm Payne Schwartz reduces its non-binding takeover offer for shares it does not already own, uh, valuing the horticultural company at just shy of one and a half billion dollars. Of course, we've been talking about AFL and Costa Group, uh, Frank Costa's uh, family company that listed Frank Costa, the former president of Geelong for all those years. Uh, under the proposal, Costa's shareholders would receive $3.20 a piece for the remaining 85%, taking uh, PSP at uh, the stake PSP does not already own, lower than the $3.50 a piece uh, offer received in July. Now, Costa is considering the lower bid and is continuing to engage in the, the PE firm regarding terms and conditions. Uh, the company ASX announcement notes that shareholder action uh, is unnecessary at this time, or is it? Let's hear from the panel of experts uh, now. David, what do you think of Costa's announcement? And if you're one of the 85% um, that haven't accepted the offer, what should you be doing? Uh, I'd be holding in there at the moment. Uh, I think it's certainly a probably not overly surprising that the the bid was reduced, uh, given that there's been due diligence happening and uh, Costa in its result actually announced a $30 million um, write down or, or uh, loss as a result of some of the issues that they've had with their oranges. So 
it is a a business that is very obviously subject to uh, you know agricultural and, and environmental conditions. And uh, yeah, their oranges have suffered due to the fact that 2022 was a very wet year. Um, the th positive on the side of of the company is actually their international uh, business. So they've they've actually been growing blueberries in China and Morocco and uh that that's a part of the business that continues to bear fruit um pun intended um, boom, boom. <laughs> <laughs> um but yes certainly disappointing i guess to see the the price reduced but they are still interested in in buying the business they've currently got just shy of 15 percent uh our valuation on the stock without the bid is three dollars ten Prior, when the the previous bid was at three fifty, we we had a valuation of about three dollars forty. So our analyst had uh, attributed about a seventy five percent chance of that bid going through. Um, after today's announcement, I suggest that they might be having another look at that that number, and perhaps the valuation comes down to to closer to our three dollar ten uh, or you know even that three twenty sort of figure. But uh, yeah, we've got a hold on it. So if you've currently got stock in it, I'd be holding right. um but yeah it's okay. a bit disappointing so it's 284 at the moment um that's right yeah daniel what would you be doing yeah look certainly i think if you're in the stock you're holding it to see what the outcome of the bid will be obviously i don't think the board has given a recommendation like you said koshi on the updated yeah. the updated figures but certainly you know it's not a great sign that you had you know a revised offer lower um when the previous offer you know on a multiples and on a valuation basis probably wasn't you know too much of a premium at all especially when you look at where the share price has traded historically so it, it, i think it is a pretty good indication of, of some of the struggles at the moment within the business and like David said, you know, I think some of the the international assets, especially that that Blueberries um, partnership, I think they have with with Driscolls is is certainly you know an area of, of of great returns. But outside of that, it has been difficult. And I think there's been acquisitions made since the business relisted, um, which has probably come back to haunt them a little bit. Um, and you know, with agricultural assets, they can go through periods where you know if they're not performing, they do get written down significantly, and it's just very hard to get um, sentiment and interest back in a stock like this so you know we, we typically don't really like to venture in to the agricultural space too much there's always difficulties there and um you know if you're in the stock now you know you, you're probably not happy with the revised offer uh, doesn't look like there is much of a premium at all so you'd rather kind of wait it out because it's obviously one of the better positioned asset bases out there for its sector um and you know over time you'd expect the cyclical factors to change and and, and the stock to benefit so you know you'd probably be, be waiting in there um and at this kind of revised lower offer yeah, you probably wouldn't be too happy with an acceptance, I think. Yeah, okay. So hold on as well, the same as David. Um, so Daniel, you steer clear of, of ag stocks. And David, what about what about you? Do you steer clear of them as well? Because, you know, it's uh, companies uh, find it hard enough to uh, get consistency in earnings. But when your orange crop drops because of the weather that you've got no control yeah. of, they are a roll of the dice sector, aren't they? Well, they are. They're, they're definitely subject to uh, the weather, and and you know we've seen around the world a significant increase in in bad and very destructive weather. So that's definitely a risk that that they have. I guess in the case of Costa and other big businesses, they're better placed to ride through some of those issues than some of the you know the individual farms themselves. 
Um, so we don't, don't steer clear of it, but you need to be aware of those risks. Yeah. Um, another stock that we like in the in the food business is, is Ingham's. We think that uh, yeah, they're very well placed. Um, so yes, it, it's an area that there's there's definitely a lot of demand, a lot of long-term yeah. growth for, um, but you need to be aware of the risks. Yeah. Um, Daniel, when you look at this sector, do you also, do you figure into your filter that there's got to be a much higher margin for you to actually invest there to offset the risk? Yeah, look, I think mainly with agricultural businesses, Koshi, a lot of the times they're probably um, based on mostly like a, a valuation basis in terms of what, what the net tangible assets are worth. Like I know if you look at even a company like Rural Funds, right. um, you know, obviously they don't operate all of their farmland, but they do operate um, across a significant amount, especially in some of the, the orchards there. Like, you know, the reason why you invested that is probably an asset play, right? Ah. And, and with Costa, obviously that it is more of an asset play. Um, even companies like Cobram Estate, which we looked at a few weeks ago, you know, the, the reason why you'd be interested in that is probably an asset play as well. So right. rather than an earnings multiple and even, you know, in the private world, when when banks lend to agricultural companies, you know, they don't look at, say, a point in time period uh, of earnings. You know, they'll have a rolling forecast and a rolling um, historical basis to compare it on. And it just doesn't translate well to public companies because the market is always so focused on, you know, a six month period or, yeah. you know, what's the next earnings hit going to be? And, and these types of businesses, as we know, you know, they're multi-year cycles and you know, they right. just don't translate well to, to listed markets. And okay. obviously there's periods where that could create opportunity, but you just need a lot of a lot of um specialist knowledge right. and, and yeah, so, but, uh, so almost you, you treat them like a REIT. You know, you forget the business side of what they're growing, you you just pay what the land's valued at. Yeah, you can, but you have to be careful because not all agricultural companies own the land. A lot of them are leased, especially ones that kind of go through private equity and they get they get the the, the land sold and then relisted. Yeah. So you really have to understand what's going on at the balance sheet. We haven't taken too deep of a look at Costa. Obviously, it's gone through private equity multiple times. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you really have to understand what's going on there <laughs> at the balance sheet level. And that, that's always a bit of a red flag when, when the PE firms have got stuck into them. <laughs> All right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, let's move on to uh, the stocks that you want us to take a look at. And uh, David, Andrew wants a view on Sonic Healthcare, the big uh, uh, provider of pathology and laboratory medicine, radiology, uh, some GPs, uh, corporate medical practices based in Sydney. What do you think of Sonic? Yeah, it's it's a very good business. It's very well managed and does have a, a very strong global footprint. Uh, I guess it's in a period of fairly low growth, though. So we, we've got a whole recommendation on it. We think it's reasonably priced at current levels. Our valuation is uh, $34, so they're still trading slightly below that. Um, but I guess the issue for Sonic is that they're forecast to grow their earnings by around 4 to 5%. Um, they do have a very strong balance sheet and have the capacity to make further acquisitions. So I think over the, the next few years, that's probably where you're going to get any outsized growth from a business like Sonic is, is making some acquisitions. Um, but currently, the, their overall business is, you know, chugging along okay, but but not uh, not growing at any great rate. Mm. Um, uh, because there are a few in that sector, aren't there? Are, are you, yeah, there are. Are you yeah, down on the whole sector? Oh, not necessarily, no. Uh, and we actually think that 
potentially some of that uh, that corporate activity is is what will drive some of the returns. So one of the ones that we like is uh, Capital Health uh, Stock Code CAJ, which is a one of the smaller businesses that has the potential to be taken over by somebody like a Sonic, for example. Uh, so we think that there is further consolidation in that sector, and um, you know it's. It's continue. It's a sector that will always have uh, demand, um, but as far as you know, short term growth, um, Sonic is is only just growing at around okay. that four and five percent. All right, um, Daniel, what do you think of Sonic? Yeah, I think you know we, we don't cover the stock at the moment. We have historically, but I think if you're interested in it now, is probably the time to start taking a real good look at it because you've you've really had the entire pass through of the impacts of COVID come through, and clearly, you know, they've been going through that earnings cliff whereby they're passing through all, all the all the revenue from from COVID over those past few years, and you know they're they're guiding for a sm- slight growth in FY24. I think it might be difficult to get there. I think you've got to consider their comments around currency as well because um, it's you know, considered based on currencies holding steady. Now, that might not be the case. So you might have essentially another zero growth year. Um, but the biggest thing for us is probably analyzing that balance sheet. So pre-COVID, before they had the massive earnings bump, you know, they were essentially a fully geared balance sheet. They didn't have much in terms of headroom at all on the net debt side. But, you know, that, that's been that's been drawn down pretty significantly now. And they have like, you know, you'd probably think over a billion and a half dollars in headroom. So a lot of acquisition potential and, you know, a lot of cost-based realization you know what what their business model has been over time has been to acquire smaller laboratories and kind of consolidate them push through revenues and 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 testing volumes through you know consolidated facilities to drive margins so you know it's more of a longer term story here um, and I think you know when you look at what they've been doing overseas it looks like that, that's going to continue to play out so yeah I think sonic healthcare is probably the best one in the space uh, pathology and radiation side oh. um, and I think at today's levels you know it does it does look very fair in terms of the value Evaluation. You know, it's not going to shoot the lights out, uh, but in terms of a defensive business that you'd like to hold for a long time, you know, I think you're paying a reasonable price today. So happy to give this one a buy. Okay, great. All right, our next stock uh, uh, on the list: uh, commercial insurer IAG. Pete wants a view on IAG. Daniel, for years um, it has been uh, seriously derided here on the call uh, as one of the the worst run companies. But as interest rates have changed and uh, premium increases have uh, been pushed through, um, it's the pendulum has shifted a fair bit. And there's there seems to be a bit of interest from analysts. Yeah, I think certainly, you know, in terms of a comment for the sector as a whole, yeah, it's been a great place to be, um, yep. insurance, and even the brokers are, have been an even better place to be. Uh, but it's almost that that period now where you think, well, well where to from here? Um, IAG, it's kind of renowned historically for, for encountering issues along the way. There's always something that pops up, which, which gives you a bit of concern as an analyst. And obviously, recent years, there's been a few question marks on their exposure um, to the trade finance issue with Greenzilla. Now, the company has stated that they don't have any net exposure to it because, um, you know, they have reinsurance programs for that as well. But there's always a little bit of, of conjecture and question marks about that, whether or not there's still like legal claims that they can make against them. So, you know, you've got to keep in mind there are a lot of moving parts in, in IAG. And obviously, they, they've had a few headwinds um, with the with the claims, cost and insurance and disasters. So, look, in terms of 
where you want to be as an industry. I think insurance is one of the places that you want to be invested in. I'm just not sure IAG is the one you know, we'd like. We do like Suncorp um, and we yeah. also like the private health insurers as well. So obviously different business model there uh, in, in regards mm. to the general insurers. Um, but oh, in terms of a space you'd like to be, yeah, certainly I think, I think you can hold the stock, but right. we just prefer to be elsewhere. Okay, so so you prefer Suncorp in this space. A comment's been made to me in the past that they would rather be in um, a steadfast um, AUB, which you get uh, the insurance brokers, if you like, um, where you get the benefit of increased commissions because of the rising premiums without all the risk profile of being the insurer themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And and the big driver behind that cost is the reinsurance cost. So obviously as as cost of capital has gone up and, you know, the the concern around claims has risen, not only from a natural disasters point of view, but it obviously costs more um, to conduct repair and, and reinsurance. And we've seen that from the likes of John Ling's what's happened yeah. in, in their top line from that effect. So the the cost to reinsure has gone up, you know, some quotes have been twenty percent year on year. Wow. You know, pretty significant headwind, and for companies to to conduct their reinsurance programs, you know, it, it, it impacts their margins. And we actually saw IAG um, disappoint with margins at the FY23 result, and disappointed with guidance as well. So, you know, you'd obviously much rather be in the brokers. Now, to offset that, you pay a pretty significant premium on the valuation side. So they're trading at quite high multiples, yeah. um, and you, you kind of have to digest that. So we like AUB; that's where we've been. Um, but we also think, you know, there's there's rationale to be in some of the insurers because they are relatively so cheap when you look at the valuations and um, yep. and the dividend yields that they're trading on as well. You know that they, they do look really cheap, and insurance is probably an area that will be you know well supported for at least another twelve months. Yeah, um, David, what do you reckon? Because uh, the insurers they do benefit, don't they, from not only the premium increases, but with yep. interest rates higher, their investment portfolio is getting a better return as well. Yeah, that's absolutely right, and they have been able to uh, yeah improve their investment returns, and their their margins are going up, and forecast to continue to go up. Uh, so it is a sector that, um, in some respects, is inflation proof. Um, similar sort of comments though to Daniel, as far as uh, IAG is concerned, we just think that it's fairly fully priced at the moment. Uh, our valuation's five fifty. They're currently trading about five seventy four. So they're you know a little bit above that. And I guess the other caution uh, with insurance stocks is that they do have a bit of seasonality to them. So as we're heading towards a, a summer, uh, we've already seen signs of potential bushfires mm. occurring and cyclones, etc. That that may well occur over the next uh, three to four months. Um, that can have a bit of an impact on the on the share price. So I'd probably be be waiting uh, for a cheaper price to be entering the stock. Um, right. And also similarly, we do like those uh, those brokers as well. You know, AUB is one of the stocks that we've, we've liked for some time. Um, we do have a hold on it though as well because their share price has been performing fairly well also. So right. not a lot of value in the sector, but it is, you know, a, a sector that will continue to grow its earnings fairly well. Yeah, and um, when we talked about IAG in the past, one of our panellists also said, David, if you're going to go for an IAG, pair it with a John, John's Ling. Uh, because, <laughs> because if the, risk management. Yeah, if the costs of repair go up and John Ling being the repairer, they'll get the benefit yep. of it, whereas it may hit the insurer. 
yeah, that's that's a, a very valid point. That's uh, yeah, taking taking both bites of the the same cherry, I guess. Yeah. Okay. All right. Our uh, Ella wants to view David on Centre Group, which is the uh, uh, the real estate investment trust that owns all of Australia's um, Westfield shopping centres. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, it's. Yeah, I think reasonable value at current prices. We've got a, an accumulate recommendation on it. We think it's probably about 20% undervalued uh, current levels. They've got 99% occupancy across the the, uh, the nation. So in spite of many people anticipating that retail spending will decline and that there will be problems for the retailers, we really haven't started to see that yet. Uh, and the other thing that Centre Group is is doing across their um, shopping centres is actually uh, putting in more food entertainment. Uh, so it's not just your traditional shops; um, they're really becoming entertainment complexes and and places uh, you know for, for people to spend their days. Um, and definitely, you know, any time I go to a shopping centre, the, the car parks are, are very very full. So mm. there's there's definitely uh, you know underlying demand there. So yeah, we actually quite like it. We think that it's a reasonable yield, 6.4%. Um, current prices, it, it looks reasonably attractive. Okay. Daniel, what do you think of Centre? When you look at that five-year graph, it's just traded in quite a narrow band. It hasn't done anything but for three years, has it? No, you're right, Koshi. And obviously, you know, talking about REITs, you, you can't discuss REITs without talking about the cost of debt and, and what's going on with bond yields. So obviously that's been a massive headwind, um, not only for Centre Group, but the industry as a whole. I, th I think, you know, this has probably come up the last three times I've been on the show and every time I've been happy to call it a buy because fundamentally, you know, there are a lot of positive numbers there. Like David mentioned, you talk about occupancy, you talk about um, the specialty retailers, you know, they charge CPI plus two. So you had escalations of 8% year on year. When you look at something like office, you know, they're going to have decreasing um, rental yields in the short term because people simply aren't signing leases. So, you know, I think there's a lot of positive fundamentals. You're getting a discount to book value. The issue with Centre is that they're obviously investing a lot of money in CapEx programs, like David mentioned, so upgrading the Westfield Centres. Um, and obviously, uh, you're doing that at a time where the cost of debt has risen. So, their rated average cost of debt, it's actually, you know, significantly higher than a lot of their peers. The reason why is also because they did a lot of refinancing kind of during the, the height of concerns of COVID where debt costs were actually a little bit higher before we started to have, you know, the, the real period of low cost debt. Um, and, you know, on one side of the scale, it means that earnings are a little bit um, underappreciated now, but they're less exposed to rising interest rates mm. compared to some of their peers. So I guess you kind of got to weigh that up. Um, at, at a 20 odd percent discount to book, considering the quality of the assets and um, you know the potential for escalations. I think it's pretty good value. You can buy this now. Clearly, it's not going to shoot the lights out. You know, it's a it's a boring, simple, stable REIT. But I think you're getting a pretty good return uh, for your risk here, and and a good yield, as David was saying, uh, because the knock on them has been that um, that retail sales will drop because of rising inflation, rising interest rates. But um, were you surprised during the earnings season the retailers actually? outperformed the the doom doom and gloomers and and i wonder if and and the doom and gloomers will say that's because australians have been using all their savings uh and that they're now back to pre-covid levels or below but they're not taking into account the massive migration numbers coming in are they which which seems to be bumping up retail sales 
just population growth, Daniel. That, is that a big thing behind something like Centre? Yeah, absolutely. And when you look at visitation numbers, you know, they've been really strong. Um, and obviously, at the end of the day, if you're a retailer, you know, you need to have stores in places where there's going to be high traffic. So, you know, a place like Westfield is going to be one of the, the last places that you'd actually close down a store because yeah. they're going to be the ones that are actually generating returns. Um, so, you know, we'd be less concerned about the volatility in retail sales. Obviously, like you said, Koshi, they, they've been really strong um, to date. You've obviously had the comments from CBA during reporting season that one third of mortgage holders still yet to feel the impact, so potential risk there. But you know, you also had the details around the the increase in savings and and income from your from your older Australians, and you know, absolutely, they're they're the ones that are still out there going out and spending for sure. So yeah. you know, so, some of the retirees have never seen conditions so good. <laughs> Their property prices have, have have maintained you know quite high levels. They're getting much greater returns on their investments, um, and, and yeah. they're sitting pretty. They're, they're, yeah. Most of them are landlords with no mortgages, so you know they're having a great time, and and no doubt they'll be they'll be okay. heading down to the shop. So and they're, uh, and they're old school shoppers rather than digital shoppers too, aren't they? Which yeah, helps groups exactly. like Centre. Um, exactly. David Lee wants a view on Pilbara Minerals. Let's go uh, into resources now. The uh, the big lithium producer. Yes, it's uh, it's not a stock that we officially cover. We haven't got a, a lithium analyst, but having said that, it is a, a sector that we do like long term and think that that uh, EV theme is definitely here to stay and will continue to grow. Uh, and Pilbara is one of the, the main uh, producers of, of lithium, not only in Australia, but around the world. And, and we do have very good resources here. We've seen quite a bit of takeover or, or merger activity in the sector from global players coming in and looking at uh, Australian businesses. So, yeah, there is the potential that, that Pilbara could get caught up in that. Um, I think it's a it's a very good business. Their result at their uh, at their um, end of financial year was a solid one. Their production was up by about sixty four percent and had some very positive outlook as far as the the business's growth is concerned from a production point of view. Um, so, given the share price has come off a little bit recently, I think that uh, you know for a, a long term portfolio that the Pilbara would be a, a good one to have in there. Okay. Uh, Daniel, you look at that five-year chart, 16 cents in 2020, now above four bucks. Wow. Oh, it's been an incredible ride, and you know, I don't think anyone would have anticipated lithium prices to go um, to the levels that that they've reached. And obviously, they're normalising. But you know, I think I think Pilbara made over a ninety percent cash margin on mining lithium in FY twenty three. So you know, you, you can't forecast that to continue. You have to have a normalisation in prices. But you know, from our view, we we really like Pilbara. They've been one of the best operationally. When you talk about what they've done in terms of recoveries, uh, maintaining volumes, and, and even maintaining costs, you know, I think they've been probably the best operator. Um, and it's been an issue, you know, globally, not just for Aussie producers, you know, struggling with operations. We've had companies like Core Lithium come out and, and show that recoveries have just been well below um, what the feasibility studies were, were forecasting. And so I think you have to be willing to pay a bit of a premium for those quality operators. And no doubt that's built into the Pilbara share price at the moment. So given the retracement in lithium prices, you haven't seen too big of a fall mm. in Pilbara. But, you know, I, I think that's I think that's valid um, given their performance. And, you know, they recently put out a resource update that, that showed Pilgangor probably operating for another 35 
five plus years. Um, it's a it's a massive mine um, in terms of the ore body, uh, and obviously you know it's 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 one that you you should be willing to pay a premium for. So no doubt lithium kind of cycle will be will be quite volatile when you talk about prices. You talk about changing demand and supply fundamentals. You know these things are, are changing every month, every day almost when you look at analyst comments. Um, but from our view, the stock positioning level, we really we really like Pilbara. Um, even at today's levels, I, I think you can have a bit of a nibble, um, right. given given you know the growth implied. You know they're growing from six hundred thousand odd tons to a million within a few years. So there's genuine growth here, um, and obviously they have a huge war chest of cash. So we're not quite sure what they're willing to do with it yet. Uh, it's a bit of a wait and see approach, but no mm-hmm. doubt you know that they'll have a lot of strategic um, kind of importance going forward okay. in the sector. So a nibble at, at Pilbara. I was interested to read over the weekend because the big knock on EV vehicles is the um, uh, is the battery life and how far you can get uh, on a charge. And Toyota's going to release a battery with that fourteen hundred kilometre limit to it. So that wow. that revolution in batteries is just going to underpin EVs, I reckon, and, and give them another boost. Uh, let's hope that keeps going. All right, our uh, fifth stock, uh, David. Ron wants a view on Northern Star Resources. We talk about Pilbara being uh, the biggest, one of the biggest in the, the lithium space. Northern Star, one yep. of the biggest in the uh, in the gold producing state. Yes, that's right, and it's uh, it, it's done very well um, both as far as management's concerned, and and also over the you know the medium and longer term with its share price. Um, we like the business and think that it's uh, you know a good resource. Their result was pretty much in line with with our expectations. Um, you know, our, our analyst said it was a no frills result, which is often what you want from a a a, a company, but. Um, at current levels, we think it's probably fully priced. Um, we did actually increase our our target price on the stock or fair value on the stock to eleven sixty from eleven forty, but they're currently trading eleven forty six, so they're they're not much below that at the moment. Um, so we've got a hold recommendation on it. Um, in general, though, we do like the gold sector and think that there is value in the Australian golds, but tend to prefer some of the smaller ones. Um, we like Romelius. Uh, sand, um, uh, gold Road resources and also Silver Lake resources in that sector as probably preferred plays at, at this point in time. Okay. Uh, what do you reckon, Daniel? Yeah, look, I think the gold space has probably been one of the most overlooked sectors the last 12 months. Um, and, and you know, th- there's probably been a good justification for that. Even when you look at the Northern Star result, given where the Aussie gold prices have been, you know, you probably would expect a bit more in terms of free cash flow to coming out of that company, but they're investing really heavily in the super pit expansion. And th- that's just going to be an absolute mammoth investment um, going forward until about FY27 to FY29. So, you know, th- there's a pretty big execution and, and, and financing risk here. You know, obviously, they, they don't really have an issue with financing. They've got a net cash balance yet, I believe. Um, but obviously, you know, th- there's just a bit of execution risk. So I think you're paying up for that potential. You know, if that goes through unscathed, you're looking at an asset, 
you know, which will be producing a lot more ounces and at a lower cost. And, and management has really spoken about um, managing that in, on a cost realization basis, focusing on margin, not just producing more ounces for the sake of it, you know, in terms of empire building, which, you know, has probably been the, the MO for gold companies yeah. historically. It's been focused <laughs> purely on production rather than margin. So, so they're all the right things that you want to be hearing from management. Um, it's just a matter of fact of executing now. So I think you're probably paying up for now uh, in the current price. I'd probably um, w- wouldn't consider it good value here uh, in terms of buying opportunity. Uh, but if you're holding it, you'd, you'd certainly be happy to hold it. But like David said, when it comes to the intermediate space, you know, there haven't been really too many great performers considering where the gold price has been. Um, and, and, you know, I'd comment that a lot of the names he, he pointed out look much better in terms of valuation. I'd even add Capricorn medals in there. That's one we quite like as well, um, which has been a great performer over the last few years and, and looks like they're going to be, you know, doing doing some good things with the Mount Gibson expansion as well. So right. I think there are opportunities in the smaller end. Okay. All right. Let's recap the, uh, the first five stocks that we've looked at here on the call. Costa Group uh, as stock of the day, a hold from both David and Daniel. IAG, um, a no from David, a hold from Daniel. They prefer others in the group such as AUB, Suncorp, probably better value. Uh, Centre Group, a buy from Daniel, also accumulate from Ords and David, who reckon it's about 20% undervalued at the moment. Uh, Pilbara Minerals, a yes from David at Ords, a nibble from Daniel. Uh, both see it as uh, one of the market leaders in the lithium space. Space And Northern Star, a hold from both, but they prefer some of the, the next tier down stocks like Romelius, Capricorn and Gold Row. Um, here on the call, we're tracking our own high conviction fantasy fund as picked by the Investment Committee. The latest episode of the committee meeting um, is live at ausbiz.com. Uh, going into September, Paradigm Pharma was traded out, giving way to Challenger, which also received 1% trims from each of Altium and Paladin. Um, let's see how the portfolio is going, and it's up at 12.5% on a cumulative basis. Uh, keep sending your um, requests in here for the call because that, that's the first filter um, that gets through to the investment committee. Any stock that gets a yes, a buy from uh, both our experts on the panel, then gets referred to the investment committee to see if it should go into the portfolio. Uh, this half hour, we're going to take a look at OSCO, IGO, the Lottery Corp, Auckland International Airport and TPG. Uh, Daniel, uh, Michael wants a view on OSCO, the uh, healthcare communication and workflow management solution system. This is this is sort of like a, uh, for hospitals and healthcare workers, a bit like a uh, accommodation of, um, uh, of Slack, isn't it? sort of an, an hospital management record keeping. Yeah, exactly. I think it, it does exactly that record keeping. And, and um, obviously, that's a pretty significant thing to do in, in the healthcare space of patient records and understanding um, yeah. all the latest updates, because, you know, as you'd expect, you know, it's quite an understaffed industry. So you, you don't have the luxury of, of having a, a full discussion with all the staff members about a patient. It all has to be kept on record. So, you know, pretty critical software. And I think, you know, we haven't really taken too much of a look at it before, but now's the time where it's actually starting to look interesting. They clearly had a slowdown in top line revenue going into COVID because you, you can't 
you know, conduct that sales pipeline um, with hospitals whilst they're going through that period. Now that seems to be opening up. You know, they've invested a lot of money um, in staff and in resourcing to get that sales pipeline up. I think it's at record levels at the moment when you talk about kind of sales orders. Um, and, you know, the bottom line is, has suffered because of that. They're obviously kind of bootstrapping. They're investing organically. So you know, I, I would say that some people are probably concerned over the last result. You know, if you're in this stock, it's a $50 million company. You know, you you you, you understand what management's trying to do. You know, they, they don't have the luxury of, of cheap free money where they can just go and splurge and um, you know, they have to invest uh, organically and that means sacrificing the bottom line at the moment. So um, I think it does look interesting. Look, we, we can't really give it a buy because it's so small. It's I think the average daily trade uh, on our numbers on Stock Doctor is about $4,000 over the last three months. So okay. you know, clearly quite a liquid and small, but I would say now is probably the time to get interested in it if you are because you're going to see that acceleration um, in top line post, post this kind of COVID impact impact um, and no doubt that will fall straight to the bottom line it is you know a software business gross margins aren't extremely high they're probably around 55 percent but um, I'm sure there'd be a lot of operating leverage there um, no doubt if that translates so it's certainly one to watch at the moment okay so uh, would you put a spec buy on it or a, a nibble if you're a small retail investor Oh, look, I actually think the valuations is relatively, you know, attractive given the type of business that it okay. is. So I think a spec buy, you know, is reasonable. Um, obviously, the share price has, has gone up, you know, I think considerably over the last few months. The market seemed to like that result. So, you know, yeah. just keep in mind the valuation and where the share price is heading. But certainly, you know, if you if you kind of look at the numbers they're doing here, Koshi, they're doing over 40 million revenue. It's a 50 million dollar business. Sure. So if you even have the slightest, you know, margin improvement there, you know, the PE is going to come right down. Yeah. And we've seen that with small caps in the past. So and you know, I think there's good good rationalisation. And, and good you do, uh, you could all, almost call it a med tech type stock, is it? And and to get into hospitals is a long, difficult road because they they. They tend not to change systems quickly. But when they do and there's a bit of momentum, you know, to your point, it can really start uh, moving quite quickly. Yeah, you're right. And, and I think if you look at the recent announcements, you know, they, they've kind of signed some some really big landmark deals. And obviously, you know, the way the accounting treatment works is you, you know, you, you report the revenue as it's earned over time. So it's not yeah. as if they're going to drop seven mil in revenue bank straight away. But there's obviously less kind of overhead and less cost involved as that contract goes on. So yeah. that's what we talk about the margin benefit here, Koshi. In a few years time, you know, it depends mm. on, on what the growth outlook looks like. If they need to keep reinvesting, I'm sure they will. But if they were to slow down, you know, you'd certainly anticipate a, a lot of money to go through that bottom line. So yeah, okay. that's kind of the bull, the bull case here. Um, and if things work out, you know, that's where you'll be rewarded. But obviously, you know, there's kind of uh, issues here as well in, to in terms of costs, inflation, things of the like. So it's, yeah. it's not a guaranteed success. There's risk. Uh, but the bull case scenario does look quite attractive. Yeah. And, and David, liquidity, as Daniel was saying, is just really tight, is it? Is this too far at the low end of the, the market for you? Oh, it, well, it is from a, a research point of view. So we don't have a, a research analyst that, that looks at it. But, um, you know, as, as you said, it's a small company from the market cap point of view and from the liquidity point of view. But it is actually, it's a global business. They're, they operate in six different countries and they've got 5,000 different facilities that they they operate in at the moment, so they do have a reasonable footprint, um, you know, across the 
the hospitals, aged care, even some detention centres as well. So uh, it's a very interesting little business in that you've got a sector, particularly the, the hospitals, that have a lot of inflation um, constraints and also funding constraints. So they are looking to improve their efficiencies. And, and this is the sort of software that, that can help them with that. So uh, it is a growth sector and they've done quite well, as Daniel said, They've announced um, you know, some, some very big contracts recently. There's a $7.4 million contract for a, a new hospital in Vancouver. Um, that won't be built until 2026. But they uh, just signed another one for about $2.5 million in Singapore recently as well. So uh, it, it is a business that um, does have that leverage, I guess, as you, as you pointed out, from a software point of view, that if they can get their software into the hospitals, once it's in, it's very difficult for them to change. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's an interesting little one that, um, as you as you pointed out, if you put a speculative buy on it um, as a as a small nibble in a, a retail portfolio, you could probably do quite well over the next five years. Okay, all right. Uh, let's go to um, uh, a company back in the resource sector that uh, has a valuation. Uh, slightly bigger than OSCO, that's IGO Limited, uh, David, the uh, the big um, nickel, copper, cobalt miner and processor, but more interestingly over the last couple of years has a big stake in a lithium project with the, the Chinese Chen Chi Lithium Corporation, but also is in the refining and processing part of the lithium chain as well. Yeah, it is. It's um, a yeah, you know, an interesting business, as you said. It's got its uh, finger in a lot of different pies. Um, we tend to think, though, it's it's probably overpriced at current levels. Um, got a, a lightened recommendation on it, um, as we spoke about before. I think that Pilbara uh, and and Alcom are better uh, investments as far as the the pure lithium play is concerned. And then, as far as the the more diversified assets, would probably prefer the likes of a South 32 that gives you exposure to um, copper and, and nickel and aluminium, et cetera. So yeah, probably this is one that we, we wouldn't be going uh, near at current levels um, and think there's better value elsewhere. Okay, Daniel? Yeah, look, I think IGO, IGO and Pilbar are probably the two that stand out in terms of, you know, high quality um, hard rock mining lithium producers. Now, you know, it's it's changed so much throughout its life cycle. IGO, you know, a few years ago was mainly a gold producer. Um, so, you know, th there's always things happening at the company level. Uh, and no doubt I would, I would you know, think that's a thematic going forward. Um, the key does, issue Does that here, give you confidence? In the company, uh, how how do you see that? Do you do you see that as oh, management are just chasing the hot new thing, or this is management that's nimble and prepared uh, to look at better opportunities? Yeah, well, look, I think it depends on the history of execution. So IGO um, obviously has a history more so on the exploration side, you know, farming and doing a joint venture. Uh, and then, you know, obviously it's kind of recently moved into the lithium business. Now it's entrance into the lithium market. You know, it's 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 a unique situation so you know the way that they run the the joint venture is essentially that tianchi kind of has 
all the the control, I guess you'd say, and they're more of a financial partner. Um, even when you look at the the bid they made for essential metals, um, that's not something that IGO can go out and do by themselves. They, they have to kind of negotiate and all their lithium investments, they operate in that joint venture structure. So look, it's a little bit unique going forward uh, and you have to understand that. But you know, I think in this industry, fair to say there's been enough operational issues where you actually value um, a partner like Tianchi who has a long history in, in lithium. So you know, the, you kind of got to take the good and the bad. Um, when you look at really what's been weighing down the stock, it's obviously been issues in their nickel business. You know, they acquired Western areas for about $1.1 billion last year. They they wrote like $800 million of that off already. So, you know, it's it's been a, a difficult time in that business and, and that's not been something that's specific to them. Nickel as an industry has been really struggling at the moment um, with cost inflation issues with pricing as well. The nickel price has come down significantly. So if you follow the nickel market, you know, you'll know every nickel stock on the ASX has had a bad time. But, um, you know, it, it has an interest in the best lithium mine in the world, Greenbushes. You know, Greenbush has made $10 billion um, last year. So wow. a single operating mine made the same amount in profits as CBA. You know, you got to put into perspective. Wow. Um, so if I'm looking at, at lithium exposures, I like IGO, but they're just there are a few overhangs when you talk about the nickel business. You talk about the issues they've had in processing and refining. So there's been a lot of debate about this. You can probably have a show, an entire show on it in itself. But, um, you know, we've just had a lot of issues in Australia with refining um, lithium production into hydroxide. They haven't been able to figure it out. They've invested a lot of money in CapEx along the way. So, you know, the fact that they've had that investment, if things do turn around, will be a huge positive of the stock. You know, I, I assume the stock would be worth a lot more if they can figure out their issues at Quinana. But until then, there probably will likely be an overhang. So for that reason, I, I'd probably give it a hold. Um, right. You know, I think I think near term, those are the expectations of the market. They want to see success um, in the downstream. And, and if they have that, you know, certainly be one you'd be happy to, to rebuy. Okay. All right. That's really good analysis on IGO there. Um, Samuel wants a view, Daniel, on the Lottery Corporation. This is the only recently listed in the last 18 months, two years, hived out of Tabcorp. Yeah, look, when you talk about quality businesses, I mean, a lottery is probably one of the best businesses globally. <laughs> uh, and they trade on really high multiples for that reason. So the good thing about... Um, the Lottery Corp is that they've been operating these licenses for quite a long time. So not no, not as if they have a preferred bidder status for the concessions going forward, but at least they have that track record um, and they know how to operate these things that they can kind of continue that going forward. I, I don't think they have any major renewals up. I think the Victorian license comes up soon, um, but you know, not a huge part of their earnings. So, you know, we certainly anticipate that to be a bit of a, a near-term headwind. They have to upfront the costs um, uh, directly for that concession extension. But when you look at kind of the, the operating business, you know, it's clearly one um, that, that's very high quality in terms of cash flow generation. I Basically, think, your, so, your lottos is that lottos and keynotes. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, one of their, their biggest brands, obviously, um, I think it's the, was it the Powerball? Powerball, yeah. Um, I've just got it on the notes here that they actually won 
oh, not one, but they had permission to put up prices of Powerball, I think, by an extra 10 cents. Yeah. Um, that's going to be a big, pretty big tailwind going forward. The reason why they didn't have you know, a great result was because jackpot volumes were down. Now, mathematically, you know, you'd expect that to normalize going forward. Um, but clearly, now that they have higher prices in Powerball, yeah. you know, that's, that's going to help margins. We know they have a better kind of licensing agreement with Jumbo going forward, which will help margins. Um, and the, kind of the, just the slow tick towards digital ticket sales helps margins as well. So yeah. you know, I think it's a great business to hold. If you're in the stock, you'd certainly hold it. Um, in terms of um, in terms of the valuation, you'd like to buy probably closer to four dollars. Right. Um, that would probably put on a cash flow yield just above five percent, which is fair, I think, given where bond yields are at the moment. So, okay. um, definitely happy to hold it. But you know, it's not too far away from a buy given the recent retracement. Okay, David, uh, what do you think of Lottery Corp? And also the other thing they. Uh, I forget the flash term that they 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 call it, but um, the algor- algorithm for picking winners in Powerball, they were given permission by the government to change it, so they could get yeah. uh, big jackpot uh, Powerballs and lottos more often. That's right. Yes, and that's one of the the key uh, growth markets, I suppose, that they've got is that the. Um, they tend to find that when their jackpot increases over about 70 to 80 million, um, that gets them significantly mm. more people buying. And, and when you get the, you know, the, the big um, 100 million um, jackpots, uh, that's when a lot of people who don't normally buy lottery tickets each week, they'll, yep. they'll have a go as well. So their sales can increase uh, quite significantly when they get those large jackpots. Um, it I pretty much similar view to Daniel as far as uh, the, the business is concerned. It's it's a good cash flow business. We see that the growth um, comes from their, their online sales. They're now getting about 36% of their sales from online. So there's probably a lot of scope to increase that a lot further. Um, the Daniel mentioned that the Victorian license, that doesn't come up until 2028. So there's still another five years to run with that. And as you said, there's there's thought that being the incumbent, that they've probably got a, a better chance than most to uh, to either keep that license or there's the potential that they, the Victorian government even issues two licences. But um, that's that's down the track at the moment. They've got a pretty much a monopoly on on the uh, particularly the the lotteries in in Australia. Um, so yeah, we like it. We've got a whole recommendation on it, and similar to, to what Daniel was saying, the whole recommendation, the last analyst update was when they were about $5. So we've seen the share price drift down a little bit. I think it's probably getting close to a, a price that you can start to add to it. Um, but at the moment, when you look at the the, the chart, not that I'm a chartist, but there's there's not much of a, an incentive to um, you know, see a, a recovery in that share price. So I'd probably be just watching it. Um, and if we, we start to see the, the price approach 450 or so, um, maybe have a look at, at buying it uh, around that sort of level. Okay. All right. Um, Oscar wants to view David on Auckland International Airport. Um, uh, not many airports uh, listed at the moment. All the big super no. funds have, have bought them up. But the difference between, say, the old Sydney airport when it was listed and Auckland is Auckland actually owns all the land, doesn't it? So it's a a property play and an airport at the same time. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And as you said, a lot of them have been bought by uh, by private equity or large super funds. So there's not that many uh, ways that investors can get 
exposure to to the airports now. Um, Auckland is a is a, a good airport. It's done well. Um, obviously, like all airports around the world, they they had that COVID lockdown, but the recovery has been quite reasonable from there, and and they're looking. Uh, as Australia is as well, that increasing um, demand, particularly from from China and Asia, um, should be reasonable for it. Can't really, though, see a compelling reason to be buying this. Um, we've got a hold recommendation on it. Um, typically, the thing that you like about an infrastructure type asset is that you get a, a decent dividend yield. Um, dividend yields only 1.7% on it. Yeah. So you're not getting a great return. Um, you know, Usually, you're looking at this sort of asset as a as a bond proxy. Um, if you're getting returns on a on a bond of four and a half, five, even six percent, you'd probably want to be in a fixed interest type investment rather than in in Auckland right. Airport. Um, unless, as you said, you want that exposure to the uh, to the property itself. Um, but yeah, again, can't really see that much growth in it at this point in time. Um, okay. So yeah. A hold. Uh, Daniel? Yeah, look, I I think, you know, for the reasons that David pointed out, um, which are a bit concerning, I think that's probably the reason why you'd actually start to get a little bit interested in the value of Auckland um, Airport at at the moment. Obviously, these type of assets, you know, they are scarce, like you mentioned, Koshi. So, you know, they they do tend to trade at, at, you know, premiums throughout their throughout their life cycle. Um, but at the moment, you know, clearly it's still, you know, in that recovery phase. So I think the average um, international travel um, as a percentage of pre-COVID throughout the year was only about 68%. So yeah, the, the numbers still are lagging. They don't look too good now. Um, and the key issue was that, you know, they kind of released um, some of their discussions about aeronautical pricing. And in that they announced, you know, a pretty significant CapEx program. I think it's going to be about six and a half billion over the next 10 years. Now that will, that will also you know help their case in negotiating i think it's about a 40 percent increase in aeronautical fees so there's a lot going on behind the scenes here um but you know it you know i'm not sure if that's confirmed but that's a pretty significant step Mm. jump in earnings for them but obviously you know it'll be coming out the other side with capex investment so you know i probably would say that you wouldn't expect to see great dividends and great numbers for a little while now Um, but obviously that's all adding to the asset base that's adding to the valuation of the business so you know i think if you're a contrarian you, you probably actually see this as a time to get interested the only thing is you know management's actually called out a potential capital raising within the next yeah. few years to help finance um, that program. So clearly that's why the market hasn't liked it. I think there's also been a sell down. Was it from the New Zealand government or, or was yeah. that was that maybe? Yeah, I think so. That's probably been an overhang um, in the stock as well. But, uh, you know, there are genuinely reasons to get interested in this. You know, they're starting FY24 with a better run rate. So I think, you know, they, they talked about about 86% pre-COVID levels heading into FY24. So that's already a massive jump. Plus, you should um, expect, you know, the, the the impact of better aeronautical pricing coming through. You know, these are things that will help the stock going forward, certainly. Um, but there are obviously those risks I've just pointed right. out. So um, it's it's a difficult one. I'd probably say for a contrarian, you, you can start to nibble. Okay. Um, but uh, at the moment, it's probably not screaming value for, right. for a buying opportunity. Okay. And I think the New Zealand government is uh, a bit more averse into where... Uh, letting more flights come into airports than maybe our government is, which could be helpful for the stock. Um, But our final stock, Pim wants a view. Uh, Daniel, on TPG Telecom, the the big telco here in Australia. 
Yeah, so the big news with TPG um, was that they were in negotiation with Vocus to, to yep. sell um, their wholesale fiber network. And, you know, that, that's probably the last, you know, great piece of infrastructure that, that TPG have. Um, you know, when, when they merged with Vodafone, they obviously had a huge debt pile on the balance sheet. So they have like a $3.5 billion net debt balance sheet. And the issue with that is that, you know, that they just don't have enough in terms of cash flow after interest, after tax, after dividends to really pay that down. So they're just struggling at the moment, um, TPG, with managing the balance sheet. You know, they've benefited from the mobile market, which we know from Telstra has been quite good. Um, but that, that's just a real concern for us. So you've got, you know, not the best balance sheet um, and you've got really, you know, it's something that they wouldn't like to sell. I mean, mm. it's, it's, it's a huge driver of earnings for them. It's, it's you know, in terms, of, in terms of their earnings, I think it's about $500 million a year, EBITDA, 60% percent margins like this is the great last final earnings driver for them given a lot of their earnings have been impacted by the MBN rollout so you know we're probably not not a fan of that um you know it, it's it's good for the valuation of the stock no doubt there'll be a lot of short-termism if that goes through they'll pay down the debt they'll probably deliver excess capital but that will leave you with a business purely you know basically an MBN reselling so right. um you know it's probably not as attractive we'd much rather be holding holding Telstra okay. um and if you want something that looks a little bit more um interesting in, in terms of a growth story you've obviously got aussie broadband as well which had a great report so you know yeah. i probably don't see the rationalization to hold tpg unless you think they're going to get that that big return program which will be only a short-term sugar hit okay anyway from our view uh david i tend to have a little bit of a different view in that we you know we do have an accumulate recommendation on tpg we think that the the last result was actually fairly positive from a consumer point of view. So their, their mobile uh, revenues were up quite well. They're the number three mobile player, uh, number two consumer broadband. Um, so I think that what they're trying to do strategically, as well as get money to pay back that debt, but is also move away from some of the, the margin compression that they've seen from that, that fibre network so don't mind it we think it's it's reasonable value um but having said that i do agree with daniel and and we do have a buy recommendation on aussie broadband which uh yeah provides that that pure exposure to the broadband market it's a smaller business but they do hmm. they are growing their their uh, market share quite well so we okay. think that they reported well and and have a, a good operation all right. Okay, uh, we've got a dash coming up to uh, to one o'clock at Eastern. Daniel Ortizzi from the Stock Doctor. Good to see you, David Lane. Likewise from Ords. Have a good week. Thank you. Let's uh, recap quickly the final five stocks. Uh, Osco speculative buy from both David and Daniel. Remember, it's only valued at fifty mil. Uh, only does about four to five thousand dollars worth of trading every day, so it's only. For, uh, for retail investors and, and no big investment. Uh, could be a big lobster pot if that's the case. Uh, IGL, a sell from David, uh, prefers Pilbara and Alcam, a hold from Daniel. Lottery Corp, a hold from both. Daniel would be interested in buying at around $4. It's on a pullback. It needs to pull back a bit further for him. Um, Auckland International Airport, 
uh, a nibble from Daniel, a hold from David, and TPG a no from Daniel. Here it can switch into Telstra and Aussie Broadband. Um, uh, David and Ords haven't accumulated on TPG, but prefer Aussie Broadband as well. Um, look, if you want us to cover any stocks here on the call, want them to put them to my uh, to my panel each day, uh, go to ausbiz.co slash call picks and suggest your stocks or tweet us using the at TV handle. Uh, we've got to go. Stick around. The Pulse is next. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.